genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And today, we are beginning our journey through the filmography of Judd Apatow with his directorial debut. It's 2005's The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And we have no guest. Joining us to talk about love, sex, and the mid-2000s is no one. Scott, get used to it, folks. Get <laughs> fucking used to it. <laughs> it's a double-hander from here on out. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe, Scott, reading, the, reading that opening just now, it felt real. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. We're done with Star Trek. <laughs> we are done with Star Trek. And now we're talking about Judd Apatow. <laughs> it... We've been like talking about this off mic for months. Yeah. This vibe shift that we were getting ready to do. Yeah. And so doing it, you know, recording it, saying it out loud, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it was it was definitely becoming more real as I was watching the 40-year-old version. And I was like, wow, we're really doing this. That's, um, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have found some really interesting stuff that I want to talk about in terms of the movie itself. Mm -hmm. um, not any development stuff, but just like. Things that I noticed about about Judd Apatow as a creator, and and something that I want to, um, I want to continue to look at over the course of this filmography, uh, because as I as I told Nick, the plots in a Judd Apatow movie are so simple they're barely there, <laughs> um, and you know for the most part. Scenes in a Judd Apatow movie are uh, scenes of characters talking to each other about the subject of the film while passively doing other things. You know, um, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a story that you and I are very familiar with where uh, director Kevin Smith uh, watched 40 year old virgin and knocked up rise to, to success. And he was like, this dude's just like doing what I was doing. Right. It's like not even that much better. And I remember at the time being like, okay, come on, dude. Like, I love you, Kevin Smith, but like, this is, you know, you can't argue with the blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just listening to you, I'm like, he, he kind of had a point. Yeah, yeah. No, he absolutely had a point. He absolutely had a point. The, the, the problem was that his movies were not universal to a large audience degree. They were insularly universal where it was like yeah. oh i've never i talk like this with my friends with my nerdy ass friends we talk about the death star and this stuff but like i've never seen anyone talk about that before um in a movie and so for those people they were like wow but with this with 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 judd apatow he makes movies that like everyone is like oh yeah totally like this is this is this is what i do and he 
he tends to like what I've noticed is like his ensembles are full of lots of different personalities and and types. Um, and they he merges them all together in like a workplace or a situation uh, that makes it so that everyone sort of sees themselves on screen in one way or another. Not personality wise, you know. Right. Not like, yeah. wow, a lot of there's a whole lot of Kevin Smith's in this scene. Right. Exactly. Which is that's exactly what Kevin Smith doesn't do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And and that's that's really interesting. And especially, you know, knowing that this is a guy that kind of started in television, at right. least as a writer. Yeah. Like, well, no, I, I mean, I think as a director, too, because I think he directed episodes of Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared before this which is my theory i mean i i don't know because i didn't look up any development for this but my theory is the reason that he started with a movie called 40 year old virgin is specifically because at this point he is known as one of the creators of freaks and geeks and so it feels like a very easy like layup of like oh the guy that made Freaks and Geeks that everybody loves, now he's making a movie called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, it's just you're like, right. It's just like a quick hip scop, you know, hip, you know, hop, skip, and a jump, and there you go. He's got a movie career. Yeah, it's not like Galaxy Quest. Right, right, it's, right. There's a similar pedigree, and that's interesting. And, um, yeah, I... So, Judd Apatow, born in Queens, mm-hmm. raised, in Sta- raised in Long Island, uh, parents divorced at 12, spent the weeks living with his dad, stayed with his mom on the weekends. Hmm. One summer, his mom got a job working at a uh, a comedy club, a stand-up comedy club. And that was Apatow's introduction into stand-up, and he fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. One of his early jobs was like washing dishes at a comedy club. This is like a famous part of his mythology. Back in high school, he started a radio station a radio show called comedy club at wkwz where as a teen he would like cold call comedians like famous stand-ups and like ask to interview them and oftentimes thinking he was an adult that hosted a radio station like comedy show right he'd be like yeah sure kid and then you know would be like oh this is a teenager <laughs> uh but it spoke to his like Weird his his confidence, which is like you know he I I he he's uh characteristically for a comedian very self deprecating mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. his own abilities and uh, confidence and whatever. But it's like you know to have the gall to call up like Jerry Seinfeld as like a teenager. Yeah. That's know? the story I always hear is the Jerry mm-hmm. Seinfeld one, and and I uh, the one the way that I've heard it told is that. Jerry Seinfeld was very aware that he was a teenager and did the interview anyway. And yeah. that was like a turning point for him. Yeah, there is a there's a really good I don't know if it's like still available or if it's like on his archives, but there was a really good episode of What the Fuck like 10, 11 years ago. I remember washing my clothes, like doing laundry in like college for the first time in the dorm mm-hmm. and listening to this podcast where he found Judd Apatow found audio of those interviews. Oh, wow. And it's like nervous 17-year-old comedy nerd Judd Apatow talking to like cool pop collar 80s Jerry Seinfeld. Like, <laughs> I don't know, fries? Like, that. <laughs> and it's it's really weird, you know, just hearing this excited kid talk to someone that he would, you know, be a peer 
of in just a couple decades. Right. It's very true. Um, and as a you know, as, as we talk about this on the on on dueling genre here and there, as someone who was a teen film critic when he was in high school, yeah, maybe I like kind of vibed with that. Or yeah, I bet you did. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, during my like years of reading Entertainment Weekly that we talked about in our Master and Commander uh, mm-hmm. episode, the Legend of Jed Apatow was written about on the eve of Forty Year Old Version coming out. Yes. Because it, it was seen as like his comeback project. Oh. Here, was a, here was a guy who had made a beloved TV show that was canceled far too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made another show, Undeclared, that had the misfortune of premiering on September 25th, 2001. Woof. I didn't know that about that. Oh, shit. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> and it was like a you know, goofy college show. And yeah. so the narrative at the time was like, oh, this is a guy who had been like knocked down but is back with this new comedy project. He produced Anchorman. Mm-hmm. And that was his like ticket into like, okay, you finally have a hit. What year did Anchorman come out? The summer of 04. Oh, wow. So was the turnaround on this movie pretty fast then? Very fast. This okay. Okay. 40 year old version came out the next summer in August of 2005. Right. When did they start shooting it? Uh, January of 05. Okay. Wow. So yeah, that was quick. Uh, and so I guess just to kind of fill in the blanks of how you got from how, how do you got from, you know, high school stand up radio show to Anchorman, mm-hmm. uh, just to do a speed run. Apatow uh, attended college at USC for screenwriting before dropping out and moving in with his buddy, Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. And uh, got day jobs like writing for comedians, producing stand up specials. Uh, there's another story that once one night he was in line at an Elvis Costello concert and met Ben Stiller and the two hit it off. <laughs> and uh, the dude like produced the Ben Stiller show. Yeah. And right. That led to, which also canceled after one season, but was like a big comedy nerd hit. Yeah. You know, the nineties is an interesting period. Cause everyone talks about the eighties as like, that was like where like, you know, every yeah, it was the comedy boom. Stand up was l- bigger than ever because it was like airing on HBO and and everywhere else. It was huge. Yeah, comedy clubs as we know them, like Yak Yaks, right? Started. Right. Yeah, and it was just like yeah, e- everywhere. It was like there was like comedy every single night. There was there was stand up somewhere that you could go see, mm-hmm. um, and you know when the nineties hit. A lot of that died. And you started to get alternative comedy, you know, comedians yeah. like Janine Garofalo, Patton Oswalt, Mr. Um, Show, Mr. Show, that sort of generation of, of comedy and comedians um, coming up in the 90s. But the thing that people don't talk about as much is that in the 80s, when the comedy boom was happening, all of these guys were getting TV deals. But the problem was they were getting TV deals to star in sitcoms that were not funny and were basically like, they're the dad in this family and like, they're kind of like their stand-up persona, but not really. And it was kind of seen as selling out. And that's what led to the alternative alternative comedy thing is like all people like... Patton Oswalt and Jeannie Garofalo and David Cross and whatever, seeing these guys quote unquote sell out and, be like, and That's being like, bullshit, man. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. 
And so then they go like even harder in the comedy and it's a, more of an uphill battle for them because the comedy boom is no longer happening. But they still eventually came to TV and movies and all of that stuff. But it was like, I think that Jerry Seinfeld specifically and, and Larry David, obviously, by association, those guys, I think, by creating Seinfeld in like, I think, what, what 89, 88, 89, yeah, something like yeah, that. That's right. Um, that show being what it was where they're like, no, we are literally going to show his stand up and then we're going to match the vibe of that with the show that we're writing. Um, where the situations match the vibe of that stand-up. And that had never been seen before. And the success of that show, I think, led to directly to the success of this whole generation of co- co- comedians in the 90s doing what you're talking about, like the Ben Stiller show and all of that stuff. And I just think that that's all really interesting, that Judd Apatow came out, came up through that, but almost like a... Like, yeah, like as a producer and these other things, he wasn't and like eventually a writer, but he was never like the guy on camera. You know, no, for sure. If, if if characters like Janine Garofalo or Ben Stiller or David Cross and Bob Odenkirk were the cool, sexy, young rock stars that were going on Conan O'Brien and being on magazine covers, Apatow was that guy who was very much comfortable being behind the famous people, yeah, writing jokes for them, hanging out, having fun and getting paid. Yeah. This is a really interesting era for comedy of like Absolutely. that transition happening um, before we basically lost it all in the in the early 2000s with the rise of like Dane Cook. Right. Yeah. Which was like kind of a huge, huge pop- popular stand up comedian, but then kind of did the thing you were talking about where he was like, here's a, a lamer, shittier PG-13 version of what you already have in your car and your CD player. Right. But it's like employee of the month or the Chuck, good luck, Chuck. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, so post Ben Stiller's show, Apatow got a plum gig writing for Gary Shandling in the Larry Sanders show on HBO, mm-hmm. where he would earn six Emmy nominations. Mm-hmm. And after that show ended, he parlayed that into a pretty successful producing career, uh, producing 90s comedies like Heavyweights, writing The Cable Guy, and doing uncredited rewrites on Liar Liar, Bruce Almighty, uh, which got him into like Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. That so again, just like working with these really big names, but never like I'm gonna be a guy too. It, it, it's really interesting that Apatow as a director has not worked with Ben Stiller, Jerry Seinfeld, or uh, or Jim Carrey, like. Yeah, there's a few big names he hasn't really worked with again, and it's interesting. Yeah, like, the the again is what is interesting to me. Because, like, Jerry Seinfeld, like, obviously you'd have to coax him back, but I feel like that would be pretty easy to, like, be like, hey, I want you to play, like, the dad in, like, you know, my new movie, you know, whatever. But, like... well. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to it, but there there will be a creative fissure in our own series where uh, Seth Rogen will notably leave the company to do his own thing. Yeah, that's true. Is that but that's not like a like a like a fist shaking fissure. No, no, no. Yeah. It's 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 like uh, I think for in Rogan's case, it was like, hey, I've been with this dude since I was a teenager. Yeah, I think I'm ready to do my own thing. And Apatow, yeah, go do your own thing. But 
And then he's like, oh, shit, you're really doing your own thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. It was it's really it was really weird and interesting coming back to this movie, having been like a Seth Rogen fan for like a decade now free of Apatow. Right. To be like, wait, are you like your own thing when it's just you? I don't think I've ever really clocked that before. Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, So but Anchorman was like his big like, oh, this is a hit. I think I think this kind of bought me some cachet in this town again. Or yeah. possibly for the first time. And so one day on set, Apatow is watching Steve Carell just crush it as brick. <laughs> you know, right. giving like a top 10 all time comedic performance. Yes. And he's like, I wonder what a Steve Carell movie would be like. Mm-hmm. There should be a Steve Carell movie. And this is something we're going to we're going to go back to again and again on the series is Apatow standing in the back, watching a talent just be themselves. At being like, I'm going to give that person a shot. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, post-Avatar, post-Avatar, or you know, around the time that they wrap Anchorman, uh, he's like, hey, Steve, do you have any ideas? Like, you're a writer? Like, like, what are some of your ideas? And so he pitches him a couple of ideas. And the second idea was uh, a, a character that Carell created during an improv performance where uh, a bunch of friends and Steve Carell are playing poker in a circle and they start exchanging really lewd sexual escapade stories. And Steve Carell's character is like, oh, yeah. And then you you touch your boob and it, it's like a bag of sand. And it's like clearly he's never had sex, even though he's like 40. And Apatow's like, that's funny. We're, we're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense that that scene started off as like an improv. Yeah, See, once you know it, it is exactly like that is actually an example of like a, a solid improv template is like they all get the joke like, oh, he's never had sex before. And then they're like building on it and challenging him and like making him explain more and more and more. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a couple of fun just behind the scenes stuff before we get into our uh, walkthrough, as it were. Uh, the movie was like stop shut down. For uh, about a week where Universal was watching dailies. Apparently the first stuff they shot were the scenes of Andy running around the valley and seeing sex stuff everywhere. Uh-huh. And being like, ah, ah. And <laughs> they're, Universal's watching this and they're like, he seemed, he looks like a serial killer. <laughs> Which is a joke that is in the movie a lot. Yeah. And so I couldn't help but wonder, like, did they add that because of those notes? Or Probably, right? Is it ironic? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, that that feels like something they like like they would do as like a... Because, I mean, you know, it's so much riffing anyway. And that very good point, Scott. And that's a good, good segue to uh, get something out of the way that uh, I guess we can call the Apatow method. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Lino-Rama school of comedy directing. Yeah. Uh, this movie has the distinct accomplishment of having shot over one million feet of film. Wow. I was wondering, because I looked up, I was like, what's the budget of this movie? And I was like, $27 million. Why? <laughs> well. <laughs> so that's, yeah, They uh, the movie went 50 days over, or no, I'm sorry, five days over. It shot for 52 days, five days over. Uh-huh. Um, shooting over a million feet of film for which they were rewarded by Technicolor a case of champagne to the set. Wow. Um, there is a shot. It's a, I mean, uh, every shot looks the same, but there's a part where Carell confronts Ramoni uh, and Paul Rudd 
and like they're like, oh man, you you did this again. I don't want to have sex or whatever the fuck. And <laughs> in the commentary, Paul Rudd's like, you could see I am shit faced <laughs> from the champagne. I yeah, it's like I am like staggering. I am not saying anything. <laughs> so the reason you know and how you get to a million feet of film is uh, Catherine Keener shared this anecdote where it was the only set I've been on where instead of yelling cut, Apatow would yell reload. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, where he would, like you said, just let them riff. And if something worked, then they would hit it and keep going. If it didn't work, they would just scrap it and try again. And the way Apatow describes it, again, kind of self-deprecatingly, is he's like, I'm just covering my ass. Yeah. I have sure. no idea if my script is funny or my words are funny, but I know Paul Rudd's funny. Yeah, right. So if I just let that <clears throat> dude talk for two hours, we'll we'll find something. Yeah, because the editing process on his movies, right, is like, they edit, they will edit together like multiple cuts of the same movie with different jokes, play test screenings, find where the laughs are, and then basically assemble a best of cut, do a test screening with that. It tests through the roof because it's all the best jokes. And <laughs> yeah. then they, they hone that in onto the theatrical cut. Like that's kind of how it works, right? Yeah. And um, I think it's, it's funny, Scott, you know, going back to Kevin Smith, uh, the discipline that you just described okay. is a lot like, again, from the outside, I've, I've never done it myself, but that reminds me a lot of the discipline of a stand-up comedian. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. A, a really good stand-up comedian, someone who loves it and is like meant to do it, will go yeah. out every single night for 10 years and get their ass kicked and go back to their apartment and hone and hone and hone. And doesn't doesn't take it personally when stuff doesn't hit. They they look at it almost like a science experiment of like, like oh okay that one didn't hit. All right, cross that one off that or 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 maybe reword. You know, like it seemed like I had them until I got to the punchline. So maybe I'll rework this. You know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, going back to the budget, uh, there were I think like four or five, maybe even seven test screenings for this movie, and. Yeah. I think they were a hundred grand each. Wow. Like, and, and Apatow was like, no, we need these. I, I want to find, I'm not, I'm insecure. I don't know if this works or not. Yeah. And so it just kept honing and honing. Uh, Seth Rogen shared this anecdote where after the movie came out and was a hit, he bumped into some crew members, like just on the, on the street or somewhere. And the, he was like, you could tell the crew were genuinely surprised that the movie worked. <laughs> Because the whole time they're like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How is this going to cut? Yeah. No, absolutely. Did you did you find anything on why Judd Apatow wanted to make the switch from producer to director? Yeah, it was it was it was interesting. It was kind of just from a place of like he felt like he had been chased out of TV. Uh huh. Like I had two failures in a row. With like freaks and geeks and undeclared, but Anchorman, I seem to have. He describes a lot of his process as fear based. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to get found out, or I'm going to get like run out of town. I need to keep going where the hits are. Yeah, and um, it was. I found this interesting quote where he he like this was his first movie, and when he got to the end of it, he was like, "Oh fuck, I'm done with these characters." Right. I kind of want to keep writing shit for them to do at Smart Tech and like. Andy's opening his own store. What's this? And he's like, oh, but that's not that's not what this is. That's not how movies work. <laughs> he's like, I don't know if I like that. Yeah. 
Interesting. I'm surprised he's yet to return. I mean, he produced Girls, notably, but yeah, yeah, he produces shows, but he's never been a showrunner again. Yeah, which is because he produced Love too. I think. Yes, I think that was also him. Uh, but yeah, he's never been like a showrunner. But it is interesting saying that his creation process is fear based. Because it it feels like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's is the exact opposite. It is fully love based, and it's mm-hmm. like I want I'm gonna do this thing because this is what I want to do, and like I think that this is gonna be really fun and funny, and like mm-hmm. people are gonna love it, and I love it, you know. And so mm-hmm. we're gonna do a preacher TV show. We're gonna do an invincible animated series. We're gonna do a Ninja Turtle movie, you know. Yeah. Um, and and it all feels like it's coming from a place of love. Whereas the only part of Apatow's creative process that seems to come from love is choosing who he's going to put in front of the camera. Yeah, like, I love this person. Right. I want to give them a chance to shine. And I want to show audiences why I think Lena Dunham is a star. Which is way more of like a producer mentality, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just kind of the control factor of being in control of the vibe, the way that a standup has absolute control of a set. Yeah, God, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna be. So there were like a bunch of video diaries that mm. were, you know, and he hated he hated doing them. <laughs> As he's recording, he's like, "Fucking hate it's Dave." It was like watching like fucking Star Trek Beyond, where it's like day three. It's like, oh boy, I'm making a movie. Like, <laughs> day fifty, I'm like, I'm fucked. We're so behind. <laughs> <laughs> I got to record this stupid video log for the fucking Blu-ray. But I, I found myself wondering how much of this is just a first-time filmmaker, like a first-time sure. director. Sure. Like, if he were to continue to make these diaries, like when I'm watching the behind-the-scenes of, like, Trainwreck, yeah. is he just like, I fucking got this. I'm Judd Apatow, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, it, yeah, because, it, yeah. It is. It is interesting. I don't know. I'm I'm excited to talk about this this whole yeah. miniseries, even the ones that I don't love. You know, <laughs> I, I'm very excited too. And I guess before, I think I brought this up in the between episode, but you know, you, the listener may be wondering, why are they doing this? Yeah. Why are they covering the movies of Judd Apatow? Right. And I guess, you know, I am, I'm the one covering the, the research on this. And this was kind of my, I was like, oh, I want to do this. And um, these movies were, and Apatow's career was a big source of creative inspiration to me mm-hmm. as a teenage comedy nerd. Sure. Uh, and then I think finding out, learning the mythology of his career of like freaks and geeks. That was how I learned what freaks and geeks was. It would be years before I'd actually watch it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, he he made this thing that everyone loved, but nobody watched it. And now he gets another shot. And he you gets, know what's fucked re- up? You know what's fucked up? I bet the numbers on freaks and geeks is higher <laughs> than any show on network television currently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like if you if you put it like the finale numbers next to like an episode of like The Good Place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet it's just brutal. It's just brutal to look at now. Like, I bet. No contest. Yeah. And oh, wow. It got canceled with only 20 million viewers. <laughs> it's a it's a buffo bomb. <laughs> Get it out of here. Oh, man. And uh, he's a supporting character in this. But like Seth Rogen was like mm-hmm. a big uh, a, a pop a figure who loomed large when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, you know, someone I was compared to physically a lot. Sure. Personality wise, I can I can charter my. Yeah, I know. No, no. So that was weird. So like, you know, appearance wise, like, oh, that guy kind of looks like Seth Rogen. I've been described as like a Seth Rogen type by like professors and agents and, you know, like people at parties. 
Yeah, and, interesting. Okay. And watching it, watching the 40-year-old version today for the first time in a long time, I'm like, I don't know why I've been, I th- I'm, I'm absolutely Andy in, in, in life. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's just because, like, I don't know. I I mean, I literally just think it's because you have because you have curly hair. I I like. I think that was it. It was like your curly hair. You're kind of stocky, mm-hmm. especially back then. You were. Um, I mean, yeah. You're no. you're much more you're much more uh, <laughs> brick then, and now you're Andy. Scott, um, it's funny. For, you mentioned the so. There's a, a detail you might have you might notice in the movie. Maybe you're watching this a 40 year old version, and you're watching one of the many scenes where Steve Carell doesn't have a shirt on. Yeah, and you're like, "Wait, is Steve Carell kind of cut in this?" Yeah, and there's a reason behind that. Uh, while Apatow and Carell were like working on the script and shooting ideas back and forth, uh, they talked about the phenomenon, like that thing where uh, someone doesn't like go out a lot or have a lot of sex but they have a lot of extra excess energy. So they redirect that into exercise and working out. So like Andy is like a virgin, but he's like, he exercises a lot. So the ironic thing is that he's actually like pretty physically fit. And I'm like sitting on my laptop going like, funny. (laughs) Oh no. Imagine that. (laughs) Uh, Uh. Yeah. This was a trip watching this movie again. Yeah. And a, a someone who's closer to forty than he was in two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm what, a lot what, closer to, to forty. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but I mean, like, it's crazy. Like, you know, I didn't think I didn't ever really think about me my, myself living in L.A. when I was in seventh grade watching this. I completely forgot that this took place in L.A. Right, and then it's like, oh yeah, why would he go to another? Place? I because I, I was just like, oh shit, I know what street they're on. Like, it was weird. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Trainwreck is his first movie to not be set in L.A. Oh, what is that? Chicago, New York, New York, New York. Interesting, because that's where the Schumer's from. But what were your thoughts, Scott, watching this? Um, I mean, you know, when I saw it in 2005, like everybody, I was like, oh, my God, it's a revelation, you know? Really? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it was just like, wow, this is like I've never seen a comedy like this before. It's so like unexpected and like you you know you got a little bit of there a little bit of that with anchorman being very improv heavy yeah but it was still like so charactery it feels like a transition point in comedy in 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 movie comedy from everything being very character based like the water boy and austin uh, powers austin powers to here where there are no characters everybody's kind of themselves and they just riff with each other and like you said they all remind the audience of like oh i work with that guy or totally oh that's so my brother-in-law you know yeah totally totally and i'm really glad you brought that up because i think younger listeners or maybe even listeners who just haven't thought about 2005 in a while yeah um that context has a lot to do with why this movie this raunchy sometimes like problematic and we'll get into it like graphic comedy yeah got like great reviews like rave reviews yeah and was a big hit at the box office because at the time comedy wasn't very human based Mm -hmm. at least at the movies it was like very broad and goofy and even the sex comedies were like you know american pie which i guess that's a bad example because that movie has a lot of heart but you know like euro trip and stuff like that sure so 
at the time and, and going into the writing process, they were like, well, how do we, Apatow was like, I don't want Andy to seem like Pee Wee Herman. Right. Like, I don't want it, the reason that he's a virgin to be that he's a weird recluse. And like, how could anyone have sex with this guy? He's like, the, I think the weirder, like the more interesting, funny choices. No, there's a reason he's like this. And, and it's like, it's the snow. I love the snowball effect of his yeah. virginity. For sure. Of just, of just like, it started off, not big deal, late bloomer, whatever, and then it just kept not happening until it became a bigger deal, which made it still not happen because I kept thinking about it and then like, yeah. Yeah, he words it in a really kind of like succinct, beautiful way where he's like, and then it really didn't happen. And and then <laughs> yeah. it's like, and then I was like, then I stopped wanting to make it happen. Yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah. I guess it is how you get to 40 and not have sex. Yeah. And you buy it. And you buy Andy as a dude. Right. It's a it's a very like it feels very honest. It, yeah. Yeah. Even like their the guy's reaction to it, like his group of friends. Like I think the way that Apatow that uses those the three friends is pretty good structure wise for like a first time. Yeah. Like well, I mean, he he rewrote a bunch of movies. So that's not true at all. But like <laughs> like how like they each kind of attack him and challenge him in different ways. Sure. And. Rudd kind of gets to be the more grounded version of like, I'm here for you as like a buddy. Yeah. He still tells him to do stupid shit though. Yeah. Um, they all do. Yeah. And, and, but, and that's the thing about this movie where people are like, Oh, it hasn't aged well. And while there is an aspect to it that I do agree, I would say by and large, like 99% of the material in this movie that you're like, Ooh, that hasn't aged well. It wasn't supposed to like they're these these are not guys giving good advice <laughs> and the movie is very clear that you are not supposed to be on those guys sides. The problem is that audiences, especially in 2005, who have not seen a movie like this before and see themselves as Seth Rogen or or Paul Rudd or whatever. Um, they're going to look at this movie and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's what I would tell him, too. And then they're just like, yeah, he's just like me. And they're not they're not they're not taking the lesson from the movie, which is that all those guys are are incorrect assholes. Right. And it isn't until Andy starts following his own instinct. Right. And his gut when it comes to women or his like his feelings for Catherine Keener that every time he goes with his gut, it's like the right move. Right, exactly. And that is the point of the movie. It's like, do it when it feels right. That's the point of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something that comes up a lot in Apatow, especially his early work. Uh, yeah. like his first, where, And even the movies that he produces, where they all star these like losers, these down on their luck, not never like kind of like kind of Stumped poking in. fun at. Yeah, poking fun at themselves. Yeah. Like Rogan, Apatow, Corral being, this is kind of how we see ourselves. They're all stunted. All of his protagonists are stunted in one way or another. I think that's pretty much the through line through all of his movies, except the bubble, because we haven't seen that. Yes. But but it still could be. We just don't know it yet. Yeah. Yeah. But King of Staten Island, Trainwreck, Funny People, Knocked Up, this. Yeah. They're all characters who are stuck in one place and can't find a way to grow up in some way or move, evolve. Right. 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 That's interesting. So I want to talk. Do you have any other uh, behind the scenes stuff before we get Uh, into the walk? No, I think we're good. Okay. So I want to tackle these a little differently because as I said, 
a walkthrough of this movie is going to be difficult because it's going to be like, and then the guys are standing here and they're talking about this. And then in this next scene, they're standing here and they're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and so um, something that I noticed about Judd Apatow um, is that he writes in a very specific structure that is not done that often. Most people write in a three act structure. You know, you have, you set up a thesis in act one, you uh, antithesis that thesis in act two, and then you synthesize acts one and act two in act three. And that is a structure that most movies follow. This movie, however, no matter how you cut it, like you can squint and you can say, no, it still fits a three act structure. No, it doesn't. This is a five act structure. This movie has five acts. Like and that Hamlet. Is how, what's that? Like Hamlet. Yeah. That is how um that is how Apatow, I think, writes all of his movies is in five act structure. And I think that part of it is because he gets bored and and, sure. and is just like I after twenty pages, I'm ready to move on to something else. Um because that's yeah. that's the thing, is like the difference between three act structure and five act structure is that five act structure is three act structure but it has two extra little bonus acts in it and this structure the five act structure was has been around forever like you said you said to hamlet right it's been around forever but it was popularized by a very famous screenwriter by the name of james cameron um james cameron's films are all five act structure uh and largely when you see five act structure it is done in um action films of of one sort of another because the the way that the acts work is there's an action set piece in each of those acts so you're basically designing your movie your action movie around five action set pieces because that tends to be like the bare minimum that you want in like a two-hour action movie you know two-hour plus action movie and so james cameron was like well okay if you want five action scenes then Here's my five action scenes, and I'm just going to write story around those action scenes and make that sort of like the meat, and then I'm going to write the potatoes around it. Um, And then you get five-act structure. But there's no action scenes in this. (laughs) I mean, there are. There are. There are a few. But by and large, this is not—I mean, this isn't an action movie. This is a comedy movie. But what I find interesting is that rather than going the set-piece route, what Apatow does is he shifts the narrative— Every like 20 to 25 minutes, he shifts the narrative. And so what I found is that there is a very specific five act structure to this movie. You have act one, which starts with, you know, from the open and goes until the guys find out that Andy's a virgin and are like, he goes into work the next day and they're all like, we're going to help you. Like that's, that's it. Act two is the guys helping him doing all the stupid bullshit, doing the, the dating thing and, and the, the chest, you know, the, the waxing. Chest waxing, chest, yeah. Yeah, the chest waxing. All their stupid boneheaded ideas, including, uh, 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 you know, going on a, you know, trying to take the drunk girl home. Right, tells Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann. Um, trying to take her home. All of that stuff is act two. It ends with him being like, no, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm just going to go ask out the girl that I like. He asks her out. She says yes. Boom. We're into act three. Romantic comedy town. Then act three is the date with Trish getting caught. And then the ramifications of that, 
which ends with them promising 20 dates. 20 dates and then we'll have sex. We're going to put it on ice until then. Act four is the 20 dates. That whole sequence of going on the 20 dates and everything that revolves around that. And it ends with them fighting over that 20th date and then him bailing, going to that bar, getting in the accident. All of that is act five. And then ends with the marriage and Xanadu. So, wow. Yeah. Well done, Scott. Yeah. So, so it has a very specific structure. And what I'm curious about, and, I, and I, think, I think it's true, and it's the reason why all of Apatow's movies feel so long. Some of them are long. But I think <laughs> yeah. the reason that they feel so long is because of this five-act structure. You get to the end of three acts, and you're like, and now the movie's over, right? Wrong. There's, th- there's two more acts. <laughs> right. And like, there's moments, there's always moments in a Judd Apatow movie, even the ones I love, where I'm like, what are we doing? Where are we? Right now? <laughs> yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this movie literally, you don't know that this is a rom-com until an hour into the movie. And then it's like, Oh, I think, I guess it's this now. Yeah. Right. There, there, there's no more like, you know, chest waxing, you know, Leslie man, drunk driving escapades. Right. Pretty much until the rest of the movie. Right. And then it, it kind of is. And you're like, Jim Carrey, Ben Stiller, rom-com mode. Yes, totally. Yeah. Uh, the ending is even very Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah, it is. It it's actually like, is. This was all a lark. We're dancing and having fun. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so let's start talking about Act One, um, mm-hmm. which introduces us to Andy and his world um, at home in his apartment, yeah. his very nice L.A. apartment. It's um, a huge apartment. <laughs> it's pretty big. Yeah. Um, it's nice. And and it always reminds me of when I picture um like animators in the nineties, what their mm. apartments looked like. That's right. I, I think like when I think of like when I think of like Paul Dini living mm. in Burbank in the nineties, I picture an apartment like Andy's apartment. This is what it was like. Yeah, this must be what it was like. Now it would be um, like him and Bruce Tim sharing a one bedroom, like back to back typing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Working um, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. But but yeah, so we're we're introduced to his whole his his apartment. He he goes into work. I love the ongoing but never remarked upon joke about him not locking up his bike but just taking the wheel. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, because he, he tries to get into the door that one time, and it like the wheel gets stuck. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, but- I, I, have a, I have a question, Scott. Um, so, you know, we, we see his room. We see all his toys and stuff. As someone who um, you know, is very critical of the depiction of geeks in media, especially yeah. around this time, what, what, what are your thoughts on Andy in, in 2023? Well, uh, so, so, you know, I, 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 it's interesting because um, I like – that he's I like that the movie is like no he derives like real joy from this stuff mm-hmm. um and 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 whatnot but it, it does seem like from go the movie is like this is sad though right like it, it's <laughs> sure. sad that he's like this um it, it, it's sad that he has a, a like you know 47 uh x-men toys or whatever yeah and they place tony um, hawk in a special chair yeah I think that, like, I also think it's interesting that, like, Comic-Con never came up 
at any point in this or or anything like any of those kinds of things that you associate geek culture with um mm-hmm. that never comes up like it never comes up that like i don't know like the whole Not ebay th- store of it all it's like <laughs> or he could have just got a table at like at like san diego comic-con and sold all this shit in a day um, sure 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 yeah. i guess that's the difference between like you know it's interesting like i wouldn't call jet apatow cool sure he's not a geek no no comedy nerd but not a comedy not nerd. a geek yeah not a geek um didn't know about comic-con in 05 right right um yeah i oh I, it it doesn't it doesn't bother me so much but it is very much you know andy's a very different generation of geek you know, because he's forty in two thousand five. Yeah, he's so got a six, he's yeah. got a six million dollar man action figure. Right, right. I don't even know. I'm not even sure. Yeah, because I don't even know if that means that he's Gen X. Is he like an elder Gen X or is he like a baby boomer? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But it's interesting. They never ever. None of his coworkers or friends ever verbally, even Cat Dennings, they never call him a nerd. No. Or a geek. I think Cat Dennis calls him a dork, which is a hundred percent true. But right, and it's and it's like endearing. It's endearing, yeah, yeah. But he he's a very singular character, especially like if you go back to 05, The fact that he is is portrayed like that. That is he. They like you said, like no, he really loves comic books and yeah, playing the tuba alone in his apartment. Like <laughs> yeah, he's getting a he, lot out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess going back to like you know the kind of story circle thing. He's he's in a he's comfortable. He's in a good spot. Yeah, he likes it's just being challenged. The, the issue is more that like they are trying to depict him as yeah, like getting a lot out of this stuff or whatever, but it does seem like the movie is also simultaneously being like but he's in denial about it. Like oh, for he's sure. in denial about what he's missing in life. No, you know? yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that is about yeah, he he doesn't know that he's he's missing something, that he's missing right. someone, that he like he he needs someone else to get him into his next stage of life. Right. But it's it's the virginity is not the problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think. The the problem is just that he needed friends. He needed people in his life because he was just lonely. I think that's ultimately what it is. And I mean, you know, we see that he's super awkward. He has that really awkward Situ like a uh, 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 conversation with uh, sex Seth's character Cal, um, yeah. uh, where he talks about uh, the egg salad sandwich. Yeah, he's like, I made it. I made a bunch of eggs. I, I really because Cal's like, oh man, this weekend my friends and I we drove down to Mexico and we saw a woman fuck a horse. Yeah, it was cr- it was crazy. What did you there do? Was, there was a real like like fear of that going around at this time because it was yeah. in Clerks too. Also. It, it was a donkey show. Yeah, which was all around this area. Yeah, that the concept of a donkey show was just like people people just found out about it and were like that's the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. And it was like I don't think this happens as often as you guys think it does. It's like it's like quicksand. Yeah, right, right. Or or lava, like Or lava, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Eva Carroll's like, "Oh yeah, this weekend I really felt like making an egg salad sandwich. So I went out and bought eggs and I spent like three, like three and a half hours making all the egg salad with the onions. And then I found out I didn't have bread. Yeah. And, and then so I didn't really want it anymore anyway, after all that. And he's like, yeah, why would you? Yeah. <laughs> their, their handling of him is also very like, I think we've all kind of had that coworker where like, you know, he seems like a nice guy. I'm going to talk to him I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I talk, I talked to Dave. 
I mean, we we kind of had an interaction like that standing out oh. line for, for a movie very recently, the two of That's us. That's right. Yeah, we, we met an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, yeah, we did. A, a vaccinated anti-vaxxer. Yeah, yes. a resentful, a vaccinated anti-vaxxer, yeah. Yeah, but he just, like, wouldn't stop talking to us. Not mm-hmm. just about that. Like, it started off, he was just talking to us about movies that we knew so much more about than he did, but he was, like, explaining shit to us. Um, you know, like, about, like, the Creed movies. I was like, oh, right, yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, motherfucker, you knew <laughs> <laughs> the way that yeah. we talked about Rocky and Creed. The hours The level of which. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then yeah. that, and then that led into like, they sure are making us get vaxxed a lot, and we we're yeah. like, okay, well, yeah. this is inevitable. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's, but yeah, it, it's always an awkward thing when you mm-hmm. run into a, a guy like this. But yeah. you don't want to be an asshole because you know it's not their fault, right? Like they're a pretty yeah, and the kind of like my. Yeah, my headspace interacting with that guy the other night was like, well, I don't want to, I don't, for some reason, I don't want to act with vitriol towards this person. Right. Because he seems friendly enough. He's just saying a bunch of stuff that's kind of ignorant, ignorant and like, you know, irking me. But like, yeah, I'm not going to be like, hey, fuck you, man. Get the fuck out of here. Piece of shit. Like, okay, man. Yeah. All right. I don't know if sure. I agree with that, but okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's. So, so you know, you have these like awkward rea- like, interactions with this with this person, and I was always that that kid, like in in high school, like the kid who talked about Godzilla too much, sure. always came over to me to talk to me about it because I wouldn't just walk away or tell him to fuck off or leave me alone, mm-hmm. um, whereas like all the other kids did, and you know, you just sort of like, yeah, man, cool, that and I think cool. with and I think with Angie, like he's such a friendly dude that you can't. It's hard yeah. to imagine anyone having like an adversarial relationship with him. Yeah. And, like even the way that Jay, R- Ramoni Falco's character, that's definitely the most teasing towards Andy. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't think personally he ever veers into bullying. No. No. Who is, let me ask you this who hmm. is the worst person in this movie? Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I, I so, like, my mind immediately went to Jay because, like, yeah, Jay, he cheats on his wife. Yeah, he, he's a, he's he's he writes horrible things like chauvinistic shit about women. Yeah, All, almost, he has a what I like about Jay, though, is he will drop morsels of good advice inside of his spiel. Like, yeah, there is a part of don't you know, you're putting the pussy on a pedestal that uh-huh. is good advice. Uh huh. Like you are you're, you are psyching yourself up for this thing that does not have to be a big deal. Right. And so, but that's how he should say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not a yeah, yeah. But he said, you're putting the pussy on a pedestal. And so, so I, don't, I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, but then he's also the guy who tells him, like, just just go hook up with a drunk girl. At, at the You know, right. find the drunkest yeah. girl in here, hook up with her. There, boom, it's over. Right. Like, the first time he's at the bar, he said, look, you're looking for girls with, like, their skirts on the ground that are drunk. And blah, yeah. blah blah blah, and Andy's like, "That's fucking horrifying." Like, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Cal is like very hedonistic. Mm. Mm. I don't know if he ever does anything. Oh, there's a part where he's him and uh, him and Andy were like delivering a TV for a lady, and they drop it in the back of her car, and they fully in like shattering. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> when we were watching this, and Bethany is like, "This is my favorite part in the movie," and then they dump, <laughs> dump it in there, and it's the shattering glass, and she, she was like, "I love that. I love that they broke the TV." The the level at which none of them give a fuck about working at smart tech is pretty impressive. The thing about that though is like because I've worked at Circuit City, yeah, which is is that is what this is. Like it's mm-hmm. not a Best Buy. That is a Circuit City. Um, yeah. and I worked at Circuit City, and the the shit that they do there and talk about, and the things that their boss says to them and talk about, and the things that they do and show on the like. Oh yeah. I, is there not a corporate entity uh, at this place? Is it just a one-off store? Oh. Well, that's another. I mean, that, that that that's a whole other question. Is what is the worst thing to happen during business hours at Smart Tech? It, I mean, it's it's. Is it Paul Rudd showing his ass? <sighs> no, no. It's it's gotta be. It's gotta be the weird shit that Paula says to. to I to think Andy. it's Paula. It's weird, yeah, because she's the manager. But there are like, yeah, Paula's. It, Paula's like invasive, like well, I mean propositioning at one point. Like I yes. want to be fuck buddies. Yes, but she also like says shit to everybody that is like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> you should not be working here. It's almost kind of what makes the whole thing work, though, because like, why hasn't she fired anyone? And it's yeah. like, oh, because she's even worse. Is this where Jane Lynch came from? Is th- was this her like big like? bridesmaid style debut was like this movie i don't know because i mean she was like she was a mainstay in all of the in all the christopher guest movies that's right i always forget because she's like always a minor character in those yeah and then this but then like this was i think the first time i really like recognized her like oh she's and then you know glee made her like a house right right glee Glee is the thing that like pushed it over the edge but i Mm -hmm. yeah hmm Interesting. But it but it goes back to your what you said back in the beginning where Apatow was like, okay, smart tech. I'm going to fill this place up with really unique, weird, interesting voices and not even really have them act very much, just be themselves. And and speaking of weird, interesting voices, this was the era where people where 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 uh specifically improv style comedy was obsessed with foreign dudes saying shit they shouldn't be saying and like they don't even have to be funny they just have to say inappropriate shit in their accent and they're like that's the funniest fucking thing i've ever heard yeah there was so much of that in this period and we've got not one but two guys working here who do that here it's like yeah we have like two funny brown guys yeah of indiscriminate like like at one point like one of the dudes calls like steve carella cabron and I was like, wait, have you been Latin this whole? And I didn't look up the actor's, like, you know, nationality, but it was just kind of like, oh, I, I've always, I don't know, but it was just, they're definitely yeah. the broad, the broad, in a character, in a movie full of broad characters, they are the broadest. And yeah, there's, they joke about how they're always left out of the group hangouts, but they are always left out of the group hangouts. Yeah, that's true. Well, except like uh, uh, Mooj is in the poker game. He bails. That's right. He bails very. Yeah, yeah. He loses one hand and bails. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. He doesn't riff. He just says like "fuck you," "go fuck a goat." Yeah, "fuck all of you." And it's like, yeah. oh, it's funny because he's like, yeah, doesn't sound like us. He riffs. America. He riffs for a little bit when he's doing the. Um, oh yeah, the dirty Sanchez. The, yeah, the rusty trombone. Right. The, the, but I don't know if that's him. 
or if that's Apatow shouting things for him to say off camera. Accent. Yeah, right. Where he's like, now say this, now say this, and you know, and yeah. he's just listing them off. Yeah. It's definitely something that kind of ages the movie of like the othering mm-hmm. would be like they would stand out if it were to happen in an Apatow movie now. Like, what the fuck is this? But back then right. it was just Yeah. Because, like, Tim and Eric would do that a lot, too. Sure. Yeah, like, we found this guy. We don't even know. He's not even an actor. Make him yeah, we did, stuff. like, a Craigslist ad, and we found this weird guy. Yeah. We paid him in a sandwich. Isn't that hip? <laughs> yes. Great, guys. This is a weird era. What? <laughs> this is a weird era for comedy. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, kind of a reaction to this, to the, the, what, this what these movies did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so are we, so act so he finds so, that they find out that he's a virgin. Yeah, yeah. So they they invite him to the poker game because they feel bad. Mm-hmm. He's at well. The they well. They game. need someone. They yeah. Have they the, need, yeah. Right. Right. They need someone, and they're like, "Well, why don't we invite him?" They're like, "Ah, oh, he's weird. I think he's a serial killer." Which that whole thing, I'm just like, "Come on, look at him. Like, yeah. He's not a serial killer. Like, come on." Um, but but yeah, I like that he gets dressed up. Oh, his little suit, his little sweater. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got a sweater and a and a sports coat that he wears to the poker game. Um But yeah, they all find out he's a virgin. Mm-hmm. You get that great shot of him laying in bed and being like, it's not gonna be a big deal, and staying wide wide awake as night turns to day, and then he's like, This yeah. is gonna be bad. So uh, something I the movie I, I, I find even more poignant as an adult, mm-hmm. but related to back when I was a teenager, is Andy's inability to bond with other guys mm-hmm. and his awkwardness around other guys. Yep. And it's something that I think you and I have both like felt a lot of like, why do I feel like I can't, why am I out of sync with, with this, with these, these fellas? <laughs> I don't ever wonder. I know why. And it's because <laughs> you're not an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't I get on board with these fellas? What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. Why am I the problem? <laughs> am I putting the pussy on the pedestal? pedestal? <laughs> but it's it's interesting how these movies are like at the time, especially they were known as like bro comedies. Yeah, stoner bro comedies. Right. And I don't know because like Andy's not a bro. It's kind of about him triumphing of over not, of, of not being a bro. Right. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'm interested to see going into like his other protagonists, like Ben and Knocked Up and whatnot. Right. Oh, his name's Ben. Wow. Mm-hmm. Never gun to my oh. head a million years. I never would have remembered that. Yep. Um, that's why that's why I'm the <laughs> this is my rodeo, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um But yeah, so they, they, they're like, Okay, like we're we're gonna help you. No, I I think the worst what well, Okay, I don't yeah. Know. Who's the worst? I, 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 Jay playing that music video and like humping oh, the air. Gonna, playing the, porn, playing like actual porn. In the, no, no, no. Oh, the well, porn that's, later. That's, that's later. Your, that's that later. they're closed when they do that at least. Um, yeah. No, this is just a music video, I think. Like, just, uh, a, just a 2000s hip hop video. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all that is. That's, that's another weird thing about this movie that, that Apatow d- brings back a lot is they're constantly like watching shit that just came out recently. And they're he like, loves- whoa, like Jason Bourne is re- like they watch Jason Bourne. Mm-hmm. They're like, this Jason Bourne movie, this is the shit. And like later yeah. they're watching something else that's like very recent, too. There's a uh, part in Knocked Up 
where I think I've brought it up already, where uh, Leslie Mann catches Paul uh, Paul Rudd sneaking out to go to see go Spider-Man, see Spider-Man 3. 3, which I always remember as being part of This is 40. Mm-hmm. But I always have to remember, no, he's not seeing Amazing Spider-Man because This is 40 yeah. comes out in 2012. So weird. So because the problem is that like when I remember it, I was like, is it? Is that a knocked up or this is for? And I look it up and they're like, God damn it, a Spider-Man movie came out in both of those movies. Time's a flat circle. Yeah. Speaking of Paul Rudd, though, I don't think we should leave him out of the worst person in the movie conversation. Okay. Okay. Because, okay, so he's kind of like a sad bastard. David um, is his name. David, yeah. Yes. He is kind of low-key stalking Mindy Kaling. Yeah. Or like... Mindy Kaling said, like, I've had to change my email. Well, no, because I guess he wasn't he didn't know she was going to be at the speed dating thing. It was a coincidence. Yeah, that's true. Um, So, yeah. Had the office started at this point or was it after this? This was like months, maybe even weeks before the office premiered. Wow. Okay, interesting. That was another kind of thing that uh, that Apatow brought up. I found like an interview that was released like around the time of the movie came coming out was he was really excited about giving Steve Carell this, like the poster is just his face. Yeah. And he was like, it's so crazy. Cause like, you know, Steve's 40, like in real life. And you really got the sense that he was very much okay with this not happening to him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I'm not a young guy anymore. Like that happened to Jim Carrey or whatever, but I'm just, I'm whatever. I'm happy to be an anchor man. Like, Oh fuck, I'm going to be the star of a movie. And yeah, Apatow's like, I, I think I like doing that for people. Yeah. And it's something he would keep doing for the rest of his career. Yeah. But he would he would do it to people younger and younger as he would go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do this, but for young, hot people. <laughs> I'm going to do this, but for people who don't need it. <laughs> uh, our, yeah. And then he, he, he has the freak out about the he sees dogs humping. Right, right. Um, yeah, and so now we get the sequence where all the guys are helping in their own ways. And, like, yes. first you get Jay, and you get the the drunk Leslie man Yeah, they go, to the, they go to the bachelorette party. Right. Um, so the part in the where, she, where Leslie man's driving drunk, and she, like, falls asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Uh, it was Maude Apatow's idea. Oh, she was. Fun. What she was she was, like three years old? At she this was, point? according to the commentary, she was seven years old at the time. Wow! And she said, "I think it would be funny if mommy fell asleep <laughs> at the <laughs> wheel," and she was right. Uh, so Leslie Mann was already married to Judd Apatow at this point. Yes, they met uh, when she was she, when she auditioned for the the Cable Guy. Oh, interesting! So they were already together when she was in Big Daddy, which is the I first think- thing I remember her from. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Uh, I think in a movie full of two of mid two thousands outfits, she might be the most mid two thousand iest. Yeah. What blew me away was figuring out how old she is in this movie. Oh, she's only thirty two. Oh. <laughs> and I, was I don't like, know. I like, doesn't. I'm mean so any- much older than her now. <laughs> like, just because, like, my whole life, I've, 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 like, thought of her as, like, oh, like, this older, late, like, you know, like, she's, like, Adam Sandler's age or whatever, because she's in Big Daddy. Um, and, and then to, like, watch this movie now and be like, oh, she's, like, she's, like, five years younger than I am now in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy. there's a, 
There's a weird curve where we just age really, really fast for a while and then we stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, now that I think about it, this movie is like full of people who famously don't age. That's true. You got Leslie Mann, you got Mindy Kaling, you got Paul Rudd. There's even a they they even reference it in Steve uh, with Andy, where it's like he 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 doesn't look forty. He looks really good for his age because he hasn't had sex. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. It's weird. I think Leslie Mann crushes oh, her yeah. her set piece. Yeah, I mean she's she's so good. It, it's it's interesting. I feel like she has been in a lot of audition rooms opposite uh 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 shoot Judy Greer. Oh wow, yeah, you're right. I feel like they have been in a lot of audition rooms together and I Similar feel like times. the majority of those roles end up going to Judy Greer, but I do but I but I like there I like I love both of them. But there is something about Leslie Mann that is I don't know, like a little more. She can put a little more of a bite on stuff. Yeah, that that Judy Greer doesn't do, or like can't quite pull off in the same way. Because she'll put a bite on something, but you'll still be like on her side, like totally. You know, like yeah. I mean, like like I, I mean, we're gonna I, talk I, about I, her I, a lot in in next week's episode. But oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, like you could argue, let's get some fucking French toast is like the best line in the movie. Dude, when she said that, I was like, oh, fuck, that's from this movie. That's yeah. right. You're like, that's that's a classic line because you're like, I, I, that, that's where this is from? Yeah. French toast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get some fucking French toast. Yeah. The like, best. That's a, that's a Leslie Mann delivery. Oh, God, it's so good. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, there's a few. We'll get, we'll get to Liz Banks later on, but like really good, yeah. like stealth cameos, like almost like featured like in, a, in an album, you know? Yeah. And what I love about the end of that sequence is that Andy is going along with Jay's advice and he's going to he's planning to have sex with this drunk woman. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that the end of it, they've spun. She's thrown up on him the whole thing. And he was like, she was like, you you can still come up and have sex with me if you want. He's like, no, no, I don't think so. I I think everything that just happened, I think I just deserved all this. And I was like. (laughs) Yeah, great. You did. You, get, you, you, you absolutely yeah. deserved all of this. Yes. He he kind of like he learned the right lesson, arguably. Of like, yes. Nope. And, and that's my point is like when you when you say like this movie hasn't has aged poorly when people say that, I don't think they're taking into consideration the ramifications of each of those elements. Like this extended sequence where he's like, you should have sex with a drunk girl. Look at how it ends. It ends with him getting thrown up on almost dying in a car accident and then learning the correct lesson of like, no, this is not what I should be doing. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, is, is chest waxing before or after the, the transphobia? After. Oh, the tra- Well, cause even the transphobia that is the, 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 the chest waxing is before the transphobia thing is. I think most of it comes from the other guys. He's pissed now, off. Now, Andy, Andy's it. It's just of the time of like this was the default. Sure. Of like oh no, a trans person. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, but and but like, there's still an element of him being like, yeah. And then we just like hung out. And we talked all night, and she's actually a really nice lady. Like he says that. Like that's how it starts. And then they keep talking about it. And then he's just like, shut. 
everybody's shut up and he's like saying shit that's not good, but yeah. he's saying it in a way of like, I am pissed off that you put me in a situation that I don't want to be in. And it, yeah. I don't even think it's about the, tra- the about about her being trans. It's about him being like, why did you put me in that situation at all? Yes. I'm also a little extra salty just because I, I also listened to the commentary. All right. Well, and, and that's that's uh, all. I don't have that experience. Yeah, so I don't a lot of the words, is. a lot of the, the, the terms that the characters use, the actors used. And now in 2023, every one of these people would have like a fucking thing on their Instagram of like. I stand with so and such and such and so. And it's yeah. just like, it's like, yeah, people grow. And like, I think I started, I, I was thinking jokes either come from out or in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think sometimes it's like, this was just like, unfortunately fucking like kind of the, the othering that we were doing at the time. Well, and yeah. It just, and it comes from a lot of ignorance of like, mm-hmm. you know, people weren't as, as I, I think as, as out and open and like social media has like, globalized different types of people you know Mm -hmm. and and i think humanize them a lot more um and so like it just you know the ignorance uh uh, raises in some people and then like completely dissipates in others you know what i mean yeah Um, like i like immediately i was like i think this is i i assume this is going to be the avatar movie that's aged the worst mm -hmm. because i don't remember a lot of big there's something about Mary set pieces right in the movies to come that this movie kind of tries to go for that. And right. so but I also had no memory of this scene when I was going back and watching revisiting these movies. So I was no. like, oh, fuck, is there stuff in knocked up and funny people that I have also right. like wiped from my memory that is 100 like, percent horrifying to watch now? 100 percent. I I also I also think that this scene is a very um, good example of the dangers of improv comedy um, in that, like the, the written thing was probably just the joke of like, she was trans, but she was actually really nice. And we talked all night and, and you know, whatever, but like, don't do that to me again, guys. And then the riffing all grab a riff and build on it. Yeah. That's where all of the, all of the, the transphobic shit happened. Um, So I know we're going out of order because while that is going on, and Andy is chastising his friends for yeah. like setting him up again, right. uh, Elizabeth Banks, who works at the bookstore, is like, God, he's such a badass. He's so hot. Because yeah. Cal's advice right. earlier in the movie is, dude, like, just go in there. You like, you know, you just, like, meet this girl. She's really cute. Here's what you do. You only ask questions. You don't say anything about yourself. You just ask questions. She'll fucking love it. Apparently, Apatow was told that piece of advice from a very famous actor uh-huh. that he would not reveal the identity of on the commentary. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh so it was like a real piece of advice that he got from like a ladies man. Um I love that scene because it's just like Banks and Corell are just so good that it you somehow walk away from them being like, yeah, I make that makes sense that that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Um yeah, cuz this whole sequence it it, it goes in a pattern where you get mm-hmm. like you get like uh, uh, Jay's thing, and then you get Cal's thing, which is the Elizabeth Banks scene, and mm-hmm. then you get David's scene where he comes to his house and is like, "We got a big get... box of porn." Yeah, with the big box of porn and the and the whole thing. Um, and then you circle back to Jay, and then that's where you get uh the transphobic scene from. And that's, that's like Jay's. Jay's like... That's Jay's second 
second hit at the bat is like, mm. well, just buy him a hooker. That's right. a sex worker. <laughs> like, that's what we'll do. Another um, problem uh, solved. <laughs> and uh, another uh, another thing I liked about the Banks, uh, the uh, him, him him getting uh, Elizabeth Banks's like phone number. No, no, no. That's but the, you know the date or you know the interest or whatever. Yeah, is in that scene you really buy that Andy could be really charming. Mm-hmm. And it is that it was a point they really wanted to make in the movie was like the reasons why Andy hasn't had sex yet are largely internal. Mm-hmm. And when he does step out of his comfort zone and just like throws cautions of the wind and acts on his instinct, he can like qu- qu- pull women that he like probably wouldn't have thought that he would have. Right. And it's kind of like this little more again, a little micro morsel of wisdom in this like raunchy, crazy comedy. Right. But this is around the time as well, because I think this happens before Jay's second, uh, uh, yeah, second time up. Um, he meets for the first time Trish. Yes, uh, played by Catherine Keener, customer in the store. They all bail when mm-hmm. she needs help because they're like, "Oh, we're gonna leave Andy to this and mm-hmm. let him talk to her." And they really hit it off. He finds out what eBay is and what an eBay store <laughs> is, where she sells your stuff on eBay. You go to the store, you drop off your things. She sells it on eBay, ships it out, gives you, takes a cut, gives you the rest of the money. Yeah. yeah. This is the storefront. She has a storefront in which she does this. You see it, too. In the first scene of the movie, when he's riding his bike to work, you see the, the eBay storefront. Oh, nice. That's cool. That was cool. So even back when I was in seventh, eighth grade or whatever, watching this for the first time, I was not able to watch this in movie theaters. Mm. Listeners, I couldn't, I couldn't, I tried sneaking in once and I was like, oh, it's already, whatever. It's already halfway over. Um, (laughs) My favorite part of this movie has always been the love story between Trish and Andy. Yes, absolutely. It's just so sweet. And both these human, both these actors are so human. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like, I don't know if I could describe Trish on paper, but that also is, I think, true of people I know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm actually kind of bummed that these two never reunited. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. That could be like a fun thing down the road of like doing like, like a rom-com with the two of them as like, like older people yeah. or like, or like a rom-com where they're like the parents or something. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be cool. Oh, what did you think of her going to buy another VCR player to replace her old VCR player? And Andy being like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Don't get, get the, get the combo. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. It's also a lot of that of like talking about like DVDs as like the pinnacle of like, (laughs) you know, um, that, that is all just like very, I was like, man, it really was like that in 2005. Huh? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, everybody was still watching tube TVs. Flat screens were like five thousand dollars minimum. Yeah. Oh, the Michael McDonald joke. Yeah. Oh, there's being one concert TV. Did you relate to that as a Circuit City employee? God, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it Michael McDonald or was it something? No, else? no, no, no. It was. Um... God, what was it? Now I don't remember. It was one song because like they would play like a demo reel. Right. And so like there would be like one live performance thing that they would play. Um, But it was something like this. It was like, yeah, it was like it was like uh, a classic rock. 
Yeah, it was definitely like a classic rock thing or like, uh, you know, Billy Joel or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was something like, oh, you know what it was? It was um, uh, Eagles. It was the Eagles. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's what hell it was. Hell freezes over. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> uh, and then, oh, and another point, it was Hotel California. Or is that the Eagles? That is the Eagles. Yeah, that's the song. It was Hotel California. It was the Eagles doing Hotel California, and it played every 25 minutes. Because it was a nine minute song. Yeah, because it was like a it was like a 30, 30, 40 minute loop. And so Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worse than minute by minute. Yeah. Um, and then we I then I've also seen Revenge of the Sith like a thousand times because <laughs> sure. there was there was like a, a set of televisions that were like the highest of high end, and they're like, Well, we gotta put the best movie that's ever been made on these, and then they put in Revenge of the Sith. And Revenge of the Sith. That's what they. That's what they showed off those TVs with. Wow, yeah. I haven't been in, inside of like a Best Buy in a while. I don't know if they still have like. I mean, they got it. I mean, people still watch TV. It's just a wall. Of TVs, yeah, yeah. Right? It's not as it, the TV department isn't as like, like whoa as it used to be. Like it literally yeah. is just like you know what this is. Look, <laughs> we also buy one don't. Version. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, we. <laughs> We'll be gone in 20 years. Yeah, we're not trying to convince you. Like, it's really, yeah. You're in or uh, you're out. Yeah. But, uh, the, so I feel uh, like we all know the chest waxing scene famously yeah. real. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You so, can see him starting to bleed. Was the, was the, so, so am I, am I, I'm not mistaken, right? The, the, actress who is playing the waxer mm-hmm. is not actually the one waxing his chest right there's like another shot of like an actual person doing it right uh my understanding is no oh wow okay. she is an actor who lied about being a waxer oh wow and so her reactions are very genuine oh no uh, it's just that classic acting rule of, uh, hey, you know how to ride a horse? Sure. Yeah, I know how to ride a horse. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, there's something just, I think it is kind of like, because you are just kind of watching Friends. It's almost like Jackass for a few minutes. Yes. I find that scene still is able to make me laugh just because like Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen and Ramoni Falco's like real reactions to everything. When did Jackass the movie come out? 2002. Oh. So three years before this. That's so crazy. And yeah, we Jackass might have even had Jackass 2 by now. That, isn't that crazy how that feels so long ago, but they really were just like years apart. Yeah. No, Jackass 2 was the next year. Um, but we had had Jackass the movie. That had mm-hmm. happened. Because um, I was almost wondering like, if people were like, what if we had a whole movie of this? Well, there's this Jackass thing. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Let's just make uh, this as a movie. I didn't know this. Kelly Clarkson. Uh, another iconic line from the movie. Right. Not an improv. That was in the script? It was not technically in the script. Uh, Seth Rogen would just kind of be like a utility writer, like a joke writer. Uh-huh. And so one day he was like, okay, I gotta, I'll gotta, i write alternate jokes for like the cable cut of the movie. What's, oh. What's stuff he could yell out that wouldn't get like bleeped or blooped? And he was like watching TV and I guess like the since you've been gone video was on vh1 jumpstart or whatever the hell and yeah let's go kelly clarkson and changed both of their lives forever wow crazy um 
Yeah. Yeah, because he's like a co-producer on this movie, I noticed. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about Young. I think he was like 25 when this came out. Wow. He has a hair and facial style in this movie. (laughs) It's so funny in retrospect because, you know, the first time you see it, you don't know who Seth Rogen is yet. But yeah. Like the 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 goatee, the tattoos, the the the, mo- the, the chops, what, yeah, the chops, yeah, the, the it's crazy. Uh, what about the part where he? I don't know what act this was, but when he Mutton when chops. you when when he calls Cal and you see Cal's apartment, and he's like, he's like, there's like a toolbox on a table. Yeah, he goes from smoking a joint to smoking a bong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an he's an enigma. He is. He is. Um, so, yeah, after all of that, Andy is like, no, you know what? I, I'm done with your guys' advice. I'm just going to do what I wanted to do a long time ago. Because he was like, yeah, when do I call Trish? Because she gave me her number. And they're like, oh, never. Don't ever call her. Um, yeah. That's that's a terrible idea because uh, you don't want to have you don't want your first time to be someone you actually like. Yeah, they're like, you know, because you're gonna you're going to be bad at it the first time you have sex. So you don't yeah. want to do it with someone you have actual human connections to. You want to just like go hook up with some random person that you don't care about. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, okay, I guess. But yeah, eventually he was just like, No, screw this. And so he marches over to the eBay store and he was like, You should go out with me. And she's like, Yeah, great. Sounds awesome. Like she's like super chill and like down for yeah. like whatever. <laughs> That was great. Her like genuine like, yes, I would love to get go out with you. I've been waiting for you to say this for like weeks. Yeah. And then we uh, are also in the scene introduced to, to Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. Uh key player in the Apatow fraternity. Yeah. Uh he'll he'll come up in the movies to come. This was uh one of his very first acting roles. Was this before or after uh the college comedy he did? Okay, so it goes, I Heart Huckabees is his first movie, period. Okay. Then it goes, I think, this, because Accepted was 2006. Accepted, yes. Okay, so the, so Accepted was after this. Okay. Speaking of 2006, uh, right after shooting 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, Apatow flew right back to like Atlanta or wherever to produce Talladega Nights. Oh. Wow. Just to put his streak in greater yeah. context. It's interesting, like, I always forget that Apatow had a thumb in the, in the, in the Sanchez pie. Yeah. Um, the part where they're breaking the, the glass tubes outside, uh, that was Adam McKay's idea. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That one, I, that one made me laugh just because, like, I, I remember working at Circuit City and being like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there'd definitely be assholes in the back, like just breaking light bulbs and shit. Yeah, <laughs> for there. sure. Jonah Hill's—it's not even a cameo, but his—it's. I remember laughing so hard when I saw this for the first time that that moment, and then going back, it's not that funny. No, it's just he is such a weird, distinct presence. Yes, very much so. The way he's like eyeing Steve Carell the whole time. Yes. It's great. Yeah. Um yeah, and I 
I wonder if they were like, yeah, we just want you to come up with like, just like pick out a product in the store and like come up and be like, I want to buy this. And like, <laughs> yeah, you know, riff, riff, and he finds like the shoes with the dead goldfish in it. Yeah. And it's like the longer you think about it, it's because like, well, why would, what was he going to do with those? He's going to wear them. Yeah. And he says it. He says, like, yeah. I want to take them home and wear them. Wear them. <laughs> uh, so this was a big deal for Jonah Hill. Uh, he had told Allison Jones, the casting director of the movie, that he was like a big, big fan of this whole collective, like Apatow and Rogan. And yeah. so Allison Jones was like, oh, fuck, I'm casting one of their movies. Like, let me let me get you an audition. And he was like so nervous this day. Because mm-hmm. it was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to like I, I have to riff and improv with these guys. And it's like my debut in a movie. Like, fuck, what if I. You know, and so I don't know. There's something kind of cool about seeing, knowing where he goes in the yeah. in the years to come. Just how like, yeah, it was it was a cool thing to re- revisit. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's also interesting that like he he is in Knocked Up, right? Um, yes, he's one of like the group of. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, um, him and Jason Siegel. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but it, it is interesting that he doesn't he doesn't like hang with Apatow for long because he moves on to the Seth Rogen side of things. He kind of like hopped around actually. Cause he does, he goes to the Seth Rogen camp with super bad, but then he goes over to um, Nicholas Stoller's camp right after that. Right. And like and just all sort of, of those movies were produced by Apatow. Oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like forgetting okay. Sarah Marshall, super bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pineapple express. Yeah. 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 Okay. But I, just, We're just, I don't know. I think it's interesting that he he kind of popped around, but he never. It's interesting that he never became an Apatow lead. Yeah, he never got his his train wreck or his knocked up. Right, because you would think the obvious thing, because they literally do it with him in Get Him to the Greek. Right, you would think that he would be the guy in Funny People. Yeah, it'll be interesting because he. I think he's in Funny People too, but yeah. He's like he's not the guy. He's like Seth Rogen's friend, right? Um, yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, to be like, what if you switch those roles? Like, what if you gave Jonah Hill the lead? In right, people. Yeah, what would that be like? I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, they go on their. It's Benny Hanna, right? That's their first date. Yeah, they go to Benny Hanna. There's that dad is who's like a guy I can't stand. A type a, a guy type <laughs> yes. I can't stand. Yeah, aggressively yeah. like hyped. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody clap for my little girl. It's her fucking yeah, sing birthday. for her. Hey, bring bring your people over and sing for her right now. Yeah. Do it right now. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yikes. Uh completely delightful though, and I'd forgotten about is when she like messes with Andy and hears her say, like, happy birthday. Like, it's your birthday too. Sing for him. And she's like, I fucking hate, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Um Yeah. And then uh and then he thinks he's gonna have sex and um, her daughter walks in, played by Kat Dennings, with her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, you get the whole condom sequence. Yeah, which is kind of like, to me, the closest to like the bad version of this movie could have looked yes. like. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I don't like love. A- I don't love that. Show. I was like, no, there's no reason why he wouldn't know how to use that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, like he's so human throughout all of the movie that this is one of the rare times where it's like he wouldn't. Who would think that? Why he he puts it in? He puts his whole arm into one. Yeah, I don't know because he's like, and he turns it into a puppet because he's like, wow, it's so big. Like it just, yeah, 
it reads like him just be, just do be funny. Yeah. Just do funny shit with the condoms. Yeah. yeah. It very much feels like it honestly feels like almost like a Borat gag. Yeah, like I don't know how this works. I'm, yeah. 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 What what are you supposed to do with this? You know, like that kind of yeah. like for like confused foreigner kind of comedy. Yeah. Yeah, like he's an alien for like two minutes. Right, right. Um, like you understand when Kat Dennings is like horrified and grossed out by like the litter of condoms on the bed. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, she's uh, great in this. Yeah, she's good. Um, she is uh, shockingly young. Um, I uh, I was I was like, I don't know how old is she at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's kind of like everyone's, I don't know. I'm kind of like, everyone still looks the same to me. Like, I get they're younger. I get that Kat Dennings is like younger. She is in like WandaVision. She's just a year, she's a year younger than me. So so she was like 19 there. Um, But uh, yeah, I it was, it was, she's, she is very good in this, but it is. In in retrospect, she's like one of the more grounded elements of the movie mm-hmm. um, from a improv place because she does. She really seems to just be saying her lines, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, and so like she does add a a like like a grounded vibe to all of her scenes mm-hmm. um, that I think these improv movies like need. They need sure. like a lightning rod to like. You she know. pull. She does similar work that I think Emma Stone does in Superbad, mm-hmm. where it's like not it's thankless because she doesn't get like a fun, profane like riff off that the guys do. But like Emma, <laughs> Jules in Superbad and Kat Dennings in in this, they're grounding and they're it's just great like straight men to the funny guy. Yeah, while seeming real and that reality makes everything funnier. Yeah. Because I think about the scene later when he takes her to, like, the sex clinic. Yeah. And that is literally just a circle of improv comedians trying to out-improv each other while she keeps reining everybody in. Yeah. And her discomfort is so... Like, you know, when when, in that scene where they find out that she's a virgin. Yeah. It's like, you feel bad for her. Like, because it's like... She's a kid, you know? Yeah. And when Andy sticks up for her, it's like, oh, fuck, yeah, this is great. Yeah, but it's also weird because, like, that kid, like, makes fun of her. And I'm like, that that was that the one felt... part that I was like, that doesn't feel honest. Yeah, it felt a little like the bad versions of comedies that we get now. Yeah. Like, that whole, like, she's a virgin. Like, you have a tiny penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His dad. Yeah. That, um, that whole sequence is... Uh... Uh, feels very odd in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially him like asking really stupid questions like the like, is it use true it. that if you, you don't use it, you will lose it? And they're like, is that a serious question? He's like, no. Yeah, it's it's yeah. in that. It's in the same pool as the condom jokes. There there are a handful of jokes in this movie that feel very bad, but are mm-hmm. in the movie for marketing purposes. Like you that, that is a. That is absolutely a trailer line. The like, is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? That mm-hmm. isn't that is a trailer line. So is Kat Denning's boyfriend being like, teach me your ways. ways. Also, terrible, terrible <laughs> joke. And in the trailer. Yeah. 
I feel that way, and it's kind of it's 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 a memorable sequence, and I think Corel, I think all three of them do really well. But Ho for Show kind of has that vibe. Mm-hmm. We're like, that's another like, what the fuck? Why was that in the movie? Yeah, and yeah. turns out the reason is uh, in the commentary they said that in that right after that Jay is like weeping. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, I'm thinking that's the Kevin Hart scene. They added that Kevin Hart scene late because they needed like a segue, and so oh. a lot of these scenes literally are interchangeable. Yeah. The 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 uh the Kevin Hart scene that's way later in the movie, but mm-hmm. um that one I, I Bethany and I both looked at each other and we were like, did Steve Carell or Judd Apatow write this scene? Because either way, yikes! Oh no, I mean the othering of the black characters. Like again, everyone's kind of like riffing and ribbing on each other, but like all of the jokes are about like oh like when your kid is born, is he going to be automatically on parole? Yeah. Or uh, Cloudy with a Chance to Drive-By. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's it's I think as we go, uh, this is sad, but I think this is like, this might be the most amount of black actors in an Apatow movie for a while, if ever. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, there there's some people, you know, there's an argument of, like, people didn't want there to be a black friend on Friends. It's like, it'd be weirder if there was. It would just be, like, a reminder of how out of touch. Kind of like you said, like, oh, did Steve Carell write this or did Judd Apatow write this? Right. Either way. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. Um, but it was weird seeing Kevin Hart. Again, another person who hasn't aged. Nope. So you can throw that on the on the list of, Jane Lynch. of people in this movie. Eh, Jane Lynch a little bit. She looks young in this movie, I will say. Like, I, I think she, like, aged a little after this and then hasn't aged since, but she definitely does look very young in this movie. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so, after the disaster with Kat Dennings walking in on them, they basically agree to, like, not have sex for 20 dates. Mm. And Trish is like fully prepared for this to be a deal breaker and is delighted when Andy is delighted. Yes. He's like, yeah. They keep one upping each other. She was like, maybe like, maybe like 10 dates. He's like, I say 15. She's like, I 20 dates, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's how they get to 20. So they're going to do 20 dates before they have sex. And now that's what this next sequence is, in which like, not a lot happens in this sequence. It really is just about them sort of falling in love. Is and... this the greatest American hero montage? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really cool. I think I like well, I like the, the the 20 dates angle because it shows like sex for Andy is this big scary thing. Yeah. It's not fun and carefree the way it is for Jay or Cal. Right. It's like a math test that he knows he's going to fail. Right. And so when sex is off the table, it alleviates his stress and he can just focus on being present with this woman that he's captivated by and she's captivated by him. And I really related to that. Mm -hmm. I I think I think we all have like more complicated relationships with sexuality and our sexuality and like movies and TV would have us believe. Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't know, just seeing him like treat it that way. And watching, watching what like I don't know the the integrity that they treated this character with throughout the movie, I found really impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, this was a really nice sequence. This is where you get 
him uh, 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 taking her to the sex clinic and all of that right. stuff. Um, that oh, all happens she's in the like, sequence. And then she's like, oh, I know you're a virgin, but I'm not going to tell my mom, but you should. Right, right. Um, yeah. You get all of that, and then you get the idea that, like, oh, he wants to open his own stereo store, which... Okay. Yeah. Um, Again, yeah, it's like some some parts of this movie feels like first drafty. Yeah. I'm like, maybe he wants to open a comic book store. Like, I don't know. That's That <laughs> seems natural, like a natural progression of like, oh, like uh, synthesizing like his adult side and his like immature side together. Yeah. Like he, I never got the idea that he was working at smart tech because he was interested in technology. Like, no. And also there's this other aspect of it. Where I'm like, if this is all this guy wants to do is open a stereo store, why the fuck does he live in L.A.? <laughs> like, what's he doing here? I don't know. I mean, you know, you see people. I mean, it was it was 05. Rent was like a little easier back then. I want to know who his parents are. Was he mm-hmm. is he from L.A.? Uh, that could be it. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's an L.A. native. Because they know. are in the Valley, which is a bit more yeah. like suburban working class than if they were like the characters and funny people are like full on show business in right. the industry quote. And like everything, everyone in 40 Year Old Virgin and Knocked Up are like kind of just were regular folks. Right. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think the I think I think in like um, this is 40, like they live in like Pasadena or something. Right. Glendale. I think everybody gets I think everybody gets richer. Oh, okay. With each progressive. Yeah. Uh, but they live but, in like a neighborhood, so it has to be like Glendale or Pasadena or something. There's no suburban neighborhoods in the valley. No, I know. I well, yeah, okay. I, I was just wondering if yeah, if that's where they live or if they live somewhere else. But Oh yeah, no, uh, for sure. I mean, like we'll we'll look it up. Because yeah, this movie is firmly set in like the Studio City, North Hollywood area. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I recognized everything. Yes. <laughs> crazy. Um yeah. So 20 date sequence comes to an end. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what today is? She's convinced him to like sell all of his stuff. Yeah. Um all of his toys. He's gonna uh, clear a hundred grand. Yeah, she could make it a hundred grand. That's enough to open your store your stereo shop. Um <laughs> such a bummer. Uh that I think that that always bummed me out. In this movie that she's selling his stuff because I was like for a stereo store. <laughs> yeah, you know? I thought and about it... I thought about you though because like you 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 had a similar fork in the road where you had a sizable comic book collection mm-hmm. and you shed almost all of it to to pay for your journey to L.A. Yeah, that's true. But my journey to L.A. wasn't leading me to opening a, a stereo, stereo store <laughs> in, in L.A. Yeah, in L.A. Yeah, um, I don't know it. Yeah. But it it yeah. just the the I guess this movie's thought that he needs to get rid of all of these chi- quote unquote childish things in order to get laid mm-hmm. because at the end of the day that is what happens right it's like he mm-hmm. gets rid of that stuff and then marries her and has sex um but like I yeah, just I, I don't understand why we have to like conflate those two things. Yeah, I think it's and it's it's really interesting because we 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 talk about this so much throughout Geek by Night. The, yeah, the concept of do we have to shed these things to become quote grown ups? Right. And I think it maybe says a lot about O five versus like the tens when we were writing our show. 
Yeah. Of like, even like the industry of like Funko Pops or like print artwork of like Gremlins that's like $70, you know? Right. They found a way to make it kind of cooler and more aesthetically pleasing or adult in a way that they really hadn't cracked in 05 to where it is just like old action figures and comic books and stuff. Yeah. But I think that is an easy fix of connecting it of like if he if his job or dream was connected to his geekery. Right. But it's a profession now. Yeah. That's something like a little collectible toy museum or something. Yeah. Because that that in and of itself comes with a level of mature introspection. Yeah. Of being like, oh, how do I take this thing that I love and turn it into a thing that I can do for the rest of my life versus I have these things that I love and then I go to work every day and I work this job that I have to, to mm-hmm. pay for the rent and to do the things that I like. Yeah. Walk around my apartment playing the tuba. Right. Right. So I don't know. Um, I've always have, I've always had yeah. uh, pretty mixed feelings about and all of that stuff. Again, to get, to get overly personal uh, and Sky, you know this about me. That's like uh, something that I've had to, overcome as an adult is like my skittishness of sharing the geeky parts of myself right like oh i have a girl coming over i have to hide like the three funko pops that i have right and the but it's like i think what this movie is kind of trying to say is that the right person won't care right or will love that andy has all these like weird action figures and stuff and will you know Right. Uh, you're like, oh, that's something about you that no, don't hide it or whatever. But the movie kind of does a half measure on that because he does have to shed it. Yeah, because that is something that we did skip over, which is that when they are going on their first date, mm-hmm. we get a sequence where Paul Rudd and uh, and and Seth Rogen, Cal and, and David are hanging out at his place. And when he's like, yeah, she's going to come over here and pick me up because I don't have a car. Um and which she seems cool with which alone (laughs) should be like holy shit yeah you picked a winner yeah 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 absolutely um but uh uh they're like oh my god we we have to get rid of all of this stuff we have to we have to put it all away because if she sees all of this you know she's not gonna want to date you Mm -hmm. um and so then she comes over and he just has an empty apartment which is way weirder yeah way weirder which i know is the joke but again, it just it, it it goes toward, and then later she finds out about the toys anyway. Yeah, and and it's like, oh, cool, we could use, you know, oh, blah blah blah. You could open yeah. the toy, or you know, <laughs> there's a part in the montage where he gives them to her kids as gifts. Yeah, and lets them open them up and play with them. Right, right, which is a big change. Um, but that also leads to the other the the other part that I was afraid of. I was dreading going into this. Mm-hmm. But it it wasn't as bad as I remembered it being, which was the you know how I know you're gay, yeah, riffing riff off, yeah. You know how I know you're gay. It's like that thing in a movie where you remember it being like huge, mm-hmm. this big show stopping thing, and then it's really only like three or four lines, right? Um, yeah, it's like it's super. I mean, it didn't make me laugh. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, it's, if it ever was, it's, it's no longer the funniest part of the movie. No. And, but like you kind of said, it kind of speaks to their stupidity. Right. Right. And it's also like half of what they say are like these weird 
like backward homophobic things where like they have nothing to do with like gay people. It's more yeah. of just like non-masculine well, things. You well, know? and you and you remember this. We both remember this because we yeah. were young men at the time. Sure. Uh, you know, straight men used to use the every. You know, the term "gay" was used as like a, a derogatory right. term for like lame or dumb, right? Or yeah, uh, like just like not cool, I guess. Right. And so, like, are you gay? You know, I yeah. know you're gay. You listen to Coldplay. You know, I know you're gay. You made like a spinach artichoke dip. Yeah, I was just like, I would do that in a bread bowl specifically. In a like, bread bowl. yeah. And I was like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, Minor detail about the scene I never noticed before. Paul Rudd is wearing a shirt with his own face on it. Oh, is he really? Yeah. That's uh, funny. It was, it was one of the options given to him by wardrobe. And he was like, is that my like security badge photo? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to wear that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. I don't know which Mortal Kombat they're playing, but they're playing Mortal Kombat on the N64. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Andy plays Tony Hawk Pro Skater. It always bugged me that the comic book he's reading at the beginning looks like a fake ass like Walmart comic. Yeah, nope, it's not. That's just how comics looked in the mid two thousands. <laughs> they look like shit. Uh, yeah. That is that is uh, an issue of Marvel Team Up. That's why it says MTU, um, and it is written by none other than Robert Kirkman. Whoa! Yeah, he in that small, very short era that he worked at Marvel, he wrote Marvel Team Up. And, um, well, it was actually Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, I think, is the one that he wrote. Um, Kirkman, who would go on to write Invincible. Yeah, yeah, he would go on to, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's just it was just funny. That was like, oh, there's, it's like a Kirkman cameo yeah. uh, in this. Yeah, he did Marvel Zombies, famously, but yeah, during that era. But yeah, this was like one of his first Marvel mm-hmm. Comics series was uh, Marvel Team-Up. So um, That's awesome. I never uh yeah. I really like slash hate Andy and Trisha's big fight. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I know exactly where why he's acting that way. Yeah. But I'm he's just like overreacting because he's fra- afraid. He's scared. Yeah. Because yeah. he's like pretending to, that it's about the toys when it's about his fear of like not being good at sex for this woman that he's in love with. Right. Right. And he's like, ah, no, we put this aside and now I have to deal with it again. No. Yeah. Yeah, and she's yeah. like, "Do you not want to have sex with me? Like, are you not because I'm yeah. a grandma?" And, he's and like, oh. then, and then the, and then the perfect, like, full circle moment of like her going to his place and then finding the big box of porn. Yeah, and being like, "Are you like a freak? Like, are you some kind of sex pervert? Has you been buttering me up for something?" <laughs> oh my god, what do you want to do to me? <laughs> uh, another weird Paul Rudd detail that I learned. Uh, so he famously has a tape. Call it what? <laughs> you bought me a boner jams. Yeah, boner jams. O three. Yeah. Uh, Rudd notices this in the in the commentary. He's like, "Oh my god, my sh- his shirt in that scene says O Oh. And if you want to go even deeper, uh, he references that he uh, Mindy Kaling, Amy, I think was her name. Yeah. Uh, they dated for four months two years ago, which in two thousand and five. Would make it 2003. Oh, so they were like, there are his boner jams to help him get over the breakup. I think so. I think the timeline weirdly accidentally clicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. And I love him explaining like, no, those are, those are, those are David. That's David's big box of porn. 
He's like, this is David's. David let you borrow boner jams. Boner jams. Three. He's like, yeah. He said they're all the best boner jams of two of two thousand three. <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't know. Like just <laughs> Carell's so good in this because he's just as funny when he's like barely above a whisper. Yeah, and then it's like, like I'm shy, like peeing in public. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, that's good. I, oh. And then you have that scene. Oh, I think you, I think you, I think you reference this scene. Yeah, the scene where um, Jay's wife confronts yeah. Steve about Carell. all the, the horrible notes that Jay wrote during speed dating. Yeah. Um. And uh, and yeah, and he has to like convince her that he wrote all those things. Yeah. Uh, all those horrible things. Yeah. I kind of, I really was into Jay and Andy's friendship this watch. Really, like. There's a, like, he, well, he, like, he, he, he just takes Jay's lead in that one, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, I'm going to eat shit and look like a horrible asshole for this guy's wife because my boy needs me. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a part I, I, re- I referenced <laughs> where uh, Jay's, like, crying because he broke up with his wife. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm really mean. Like, are you not, like, are you not mad at me anymore? And, and he, he, he's like, I was never mad at you. And, like. They hug, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of like, I don't yeah. remember this part of the movie, but this is a sweet friendship. Yeah. And then that guy immediately comes back, you guys are gay. You know how I know you're gay? Because you're hugging. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, okay, yeah. All right. All right. I remember what movie I'm watching. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, she she gets out of there, and he has to chase her on the bike. and Heat um, of the moment. Yeah. Gets hit by the car, and then and then explains that he's a virgin, finally. She's like, oh, is that all? Yeah. That's that's it. Okay. I thought you were a serial killer. Yeah. Um, and then they get married. Very conservative ending. Yeah. For a, a raunchy movie. Yeah. Um, they get married. He has sex for the first time. Lasts a minute. Then they have sex again. And then they sing Xanadu. One of the best, best all time late in the game jokes. Oh, the the no, the buffer? one minute later. Oh, oh, the wolf. Oh, I thought it was. I thought you were gonna say the oh. guy who's buffering the floor. He's, like he's really good. That's really yeah. good. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. I love. I yeah. loved that. Where they're just like, oh, it's finally happening. He's like, it'll just take like another like hour, maybe two hours. You can wait in the lobby or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's so good. I loved that. So, Age of Aquarius. Yes. That kind of sprang from. I think Age of Aquarius. The song was Carell's idea. Uh huh. But Gary Shandling, either through like the watching cuts of it or maybe even during the screenwriting process, was like, we need to see the audience needs to see how Andy's sex is better than anyone else's sex in the movie. Because because he's doing he's make he's doing it with love. Hmm. He waited and he waited and he met this person and he did the work and he got to know her and now they're going to have sex. And how do we show that it's better than if he had just had sex with like Leslie Mann or Elizabeth Banks or any of the other girls? Right. And then they're like, oh, he needs to sing. It needs to be a musical number. Right. Right. Um, this is also interesting because um, this is... In the era, um, uh, wow, I can't look it up anymore because it's been usurped by something else. Um, but you, you, this is also in the same era because it's, it's because he has a Xanadu poster. Oh, that's right. Yeah, in his, in his 
room and so it was like a it was a continuation of the joke of like oh this guy likes Xanadu and so then they sing this song from Xanadu um but because it is in Xanadu this song right I think it's from Hair Hair? I think it's from the musical Hair I could be wrong oh really? okay well in any event I've always thought but music but but musicals you know yeah 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 um so so uh but yeah this is like from that era of like ted being obsessed with like flash gordon you know yeah you're right yeah where like like 70s 80s yeah they just like reference stuff from there and just be like remember this everybody loves this it's like i mean you do uh yeah yeah i mean that's like half a robot chicken right right it's very true remember knight rider Yeah, uh, we we kind of talked over it real quick. Uh, Elizabeth Banks really does Herculean comedy work late in the game. Sure, uh, there's she's, a part- she's the third. She's like the third act obstacle. Yeah, and then ends up with Seth Rogen in the end. Right. Yeah, because he just like hey, I'm Cal and like pulls peels off his shirt. Yeah. Um, there's a part. But then the they're together where- at the wedding. They're yeah, like still yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a part where she's like in the bathtub, like you know, pleasuring herself with like the nozzle or whatever. And Andy, Andy's character says, this is graphic. Yes. That was Steve Carell kind of having like an out of body moment. Yeah. Of like, this is really graphic. I don't know if this is going to be in the movie. <laughs> um, But yeah, I, age of Aquarius works for me. I've always liked it as an ending. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like, yeah, it's kind of fun, um, mm. you know. Uh, uh, Jonah Hill almost had a heat stroke, or I think he did have a heat stroke because he's wearing like a poncho and a like a hat. Oh. So they joke in the commentary, like, yeah, he almost died. I'm like, fuck. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> wow. No Jonah Hill. Yeah. Um, yeah, they bring back everybody in that sequence. Yeah. Leslie Mann's in there. Yeah. Mindy Kaling. Mindy Kaling. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thus ends the 40-year-old virgin, mm-hmm. the first part of the Judd Apatow filmography. Scott, closing thoughts. Um. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, I probably won't ever see this again. <laughs> And and I don't mean that I don't mean that in like like oh man this movie's bad but it's just sort of like it was fun to revisit for mm. this purpose um but I think I'm just kind of over this era of comedy in yeah. general the, um, like gross out raunchy yeah 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 it's why I'm like at some point we have to do American Pie and I'm like kind of dreading it. Um, to a certain extent, because yes, you're right. As you mentioned earlier, it does have a heart, but it's also, I mean, if this aged poorly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Jesus. Um, um, we would, we would only have to do the four that came out in theaters though. That's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. No, we're not touching the direct to videos. No way. Um, I haven't rewatched any of Apatow's movies in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the most recent one I watched was King of Staten Island because it came out two years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would venture to say this. I think everything I like about this movie mm-hmm. is done better in his films to come. I think I agree with that as well. Um, I think I think the big takeaway that I have from this movie 
is Steve Carell and how good he is in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other like he's than a, that, you know, like now knowing that he's a legit great actor, right? No matter what genre he's in, just seeing the character work, yeah, of making Andy feel like a real dude the whole movie, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But like, I look at all the other guys, um, and I mean, you know, Jay notwithstanding, because I, I don't, you know, Romney Malco, he was he had like a three episode arc on The Good Wife, and I think that's the only other thing I've seen him in. Sure. Um, <laughs> I was like looking at his at his filmography, and I was like, yeah, no, that's. He didn't fall off the face of the planet. He has just worked consistently in stuff that I have not seen. <laughs> yeah. um, and, Good um, but uh, uh, other than him, I just feel like everyone in this movie, um, uh, you know, other than Steve, Steve Carell and, and, and Steve Carell as well to a certain extent, but he's not like part of this party anymore because he's too busy right. on the office Yeah. Um, after this. But like everyone else, I'm like, you are better in every other version of this movie than this movie. Right, um, yeah. Like, like, like Seth Rogen is better in the very next movie. Next week, he's better. Mm-hmm. Um, Leslie Mann's better. You know, Paul Rudd is better. Jonah um, Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. Uh, and Jonah Hill just keeps getting better. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it definitely feels like, like a first album, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, important first step in the journey yeah, of understanding this this dude as a as a filmmaker, but yeah, I don't know if I'll ever. I don't know why I would come back to this one before right. like knocked up or funny people again. It is interesting though because comparing him to the last time we did this with Wes Anderson, right? This is his bottle rocket, and I'm definitely going to rewatch Bottle Rocket at some point. Yeah, no, for sure. But I but think, what's interesting is I think that movie is less like honed in on who Wes Anderson is than this movie is honed in on Judd Apatow. I think I think this is much a stronger Judd Apatow movie than Bottle Rocket is a Wes Anderson movie. But I'm less interested in it than his later stuff because yeah. he just gets more interesting, I guess. Yeah, no, this is like one foot into like, okay, I, I I need to make a multiplex ready summer comedy. Right. And it's 2005. But also I really want to tell these like long kind of talky hangout movies about yeah. interesting characters. How do I merge the two? Yeah, I think the more mature he gets, the more interesting his filmmaking gets. Um, But I will say something that I did notice that I want to like keep track of as well outside of the five act structure that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Judd Apatow as a director, as a like technical director, I do find that most of his stuff all, it all looks the same. Right. But there is a, definitely a, a shift from knocked up to funny people of mm-hmm. like a more cinema verte style. And then he tends to like switch back and forth because the style that funny people is shot in reminds me a lot of King of Staten Island. Right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Whereas 40 year old version looks like knocked up, which looks like this is 40, which looks like train wreck. I'm pulling this out of my butt. I will. I know that Janusz Kaminski shot funny people, which we've talked about. That's fucking insane. Yeah. I think Roger Ellswit shot king of staten island oh wow so it's like every once in a while he's able to just get these like living legend dps 
too. Yeah. But you reminded me, Scott, I thought I had like immediately watching the movie that I wanted to share with you. I think this is pretty easily the worst looking movie we've talked about on the show. Worse than Spy Kids 4? Ah, fuck. Yeah. Okay. I just, what, watching, I, going from like Star Trek, I don't know, in very sure. different movies, but I was like, man, this really is just, he just turned on the camera. and There there are a few scenes in this movie where I'm like, did you guys run out of money? Like, mm-hmm. the, 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 the chest waxing scene in particular, I was like, those walls are about to fall down. Like, right. Yeah. Like, there are, there's an intern behind that wall holding it up into frame. Like yeah, if you, once you kind of are watching it again after so many years, you're like, this isn't a real studio at all. This isn't a real movie. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? They got away with this. This made $177 million. And it did. Yeah, it sure did. Um, well, Before or after Wedding yeah. Crashers? This was the same summer. This was probably like a month after Wedding Crashers. <sighs> wow. Wow. Crazy, wild. I think because I was this is like in my prime comedy nerd years as a a teenager, Mm -hmm. and in retrospect, if it seems like another world, you know, yeah, to have two big crazy blockbuster comedies in one summer like that, yeah. Um, it's also interesting because like now this this style of comedy has fallen out of favor, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone improv heavy, right? It's all falling out. And now we're in a, an era of like, like, um, you know, the Dungeons and Dragon movies about to come out and it seems like it's going to be a big hit, but it's like, it's an action comedy. So we've, we've come all the way back. We've circled all the way back around to like the eighties again mm-hmm. of like, these are what comedies are is like, it's they're high concept action movies that with like, that are really, really comedy centric. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it's stuff that Seth Rogen was trying to do. In the late aughts, like um, the Green Hornet and Green Hornet the and, and 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 that uh, the movie with Danny McBride uh, with the with the uh, Minotaur dick. What is that? Oh, movie? Your Highness, yeah. Your Highness, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Really interesting to see if this will will these kind of low key conversational comedies ever come back into favor yeah. in theaters. I don't know. Because I, I, yeah, I don't know. It, but it, it's it's also interesting watching Seth Rogen, tracking Seth Rogen as a creator, going from this type of person mm-hmm. to the Lord and Miller type, which is like kind of a lot more structured and a lot more, you know. Yeah. They're definitely like, improv in, in some of their stuff, but they are like meticulous, a lot more yeah. meticulous. Yeah. Like he and Evan Goldberg, they're not making movies about being like a guy in your mid thirties trying to make your marriage work. No, they're just, no. they're not even interested. They're not even thinking about that. They're like, yeah, doing like the boys and turtles and yeah. Sausage yeah. party. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's, it's almost kind of paternal mm-hmm. of like, because Apatow created such like a safe, creatively fulfilling environment for Rogan when he was like literally a teenager. Yeah. Like, hey, you're a writer, you're an actor, you're a comedian. What do you right. got? Give, give me what you got. It's like what a parent wants is like my kid has way bigger balls than I did growing up because he's not as scared as I was. Right, right. It's also interesting that that it's just interesting that Rogan evolved and Apatow didn't. Apatow was like, no, this is what I do. Because I think that Apatow sees himself as 
a Woody Allen type, mm-hmm. not that type, but sure. filmmaker type uh, <laughs> of like, uh, and that's how he gets like, you know, huge cinematographers shooting his like stupid movie where people talk, mm-hmm. you know, but so did Woody Allen, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and, you know, you look at Manhattan, right? And so it's it's interesting where he's like, no, 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 this is what I do. And I'll just wait around until somebody gives me money to make it. Again. Yeah. God, I can't. I'm fascinated to get to the bubble. Yeah. I'm also. Didn't they just announce his next movie? Oh, I was unaware. Of such I, feel, failure. I feel like they just announced it. Um, and I was like, I, I, I was I was like, oh, OK, this is he's back in like King of Staten Island thing. So like the bubble yeah. was like a fluke. Um. <laughs> Maybe I'll maybe I'll do this. Yeah, I'm checking his I'm checking his IMDb because I feel like because it's like it's he, he's it's so something. weird. It's almost like every other one of his movies is about him highlighting a comedic talent that he thinks has gone underseen or undervalued or a new talent, right? Which means funny people. That's arguably Adam Sandler, right? Like, hey, this dude can do way more than you think he can, and I'm going to show you. Yeah. He's producing the Please Don't Destroy movie. Ooh, that's going to be exciting. And a Tig uh, Nataro um, romantic comedy. Oh. Um, and, and then there's a movie with the Lucas Brothers that says untitled Jud- Judd Apatow Lucas Brothers project, but he, it has no director attached to it. So oh, okay. I'm thinking it it might be him, um, but I don't know. I feel like I read something that, that he he announced what his next project was, and I don't think it was the Lucas Brothers, but because that Maybe sounds we'll... like a King of Staten Island thing, because it's sure. about them growing up in New Jersey, is what it says. Got um, it. Yeah, yeah, they're funny. They were in they're in Twenty Two Jump Street. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, they are great. Um, anyway, all that being said, uh, I think this is a strong start to this journey. Yeah. Um, but. I am I I I am interested because a 40-year-old virgin and knocked up represent the two films in Judd Apatow's uh filmography that I watched many many times when they were coming out because he was like I was like oh I th- this is like a guy like I, you know I should watch these like these this the, I I am enjoying these but also like this seems like the next like big guy and so like I want to follow yeah. this guy and Really like his stuff. And then it was with funny people where I saw that in theaters. And then like, that was the last time I saw that movie. And that yeah. is the case with every movie of his since. Right. I, yeah. I saw that the one time in theaters and never again. So I'm really interested to see how, like how train wreck plays for you. Cause train wreck is his pro- probably his most traditional, like old school New York romantic comedy. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, well, Certainly hope you, the listener, are sticking around and you're, uh, you know, these are, uh, comedies are a vibe and these are a vibe. And so not everyone's going to be interested in watching like this movie, especially I think his grossest movie. Yeah. Um, But if you do decide to check it out, let us know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, next week we'll be back with uh, Knocked Up. The Apatow adventure is just beginning.